As a reading this morning, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 22, verses 17 to 25. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 17 to 25. It's on page 128 of the Pew Bible. 128. In our text later, we'll read about unacceptable polluted sacrifices. And we'll see why that, are, that those sacrifices were unacceptable as we read what is an acceptable offering. Verses 17 to 25, this is the word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd, or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as a, as a bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them. Because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. Now let's turn to also Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. It's on page 1282. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Here we'll see what is an acceptable offering, how, how, how sacrifices can be offered to God, which is acceptable. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have, not taken, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The text for the sermon is Malachi 1 verses 6 to 14. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May ye bless it. After the proclamation of God's word, we'll respond by singing hymn 26. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, how are you worshiping? Are you worshiping properly? Are you worshiping God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul? Or is it half-hearted? How focused are you or how focused were you during public prayer? Do you think of what you're singing? Are you keen to listen to the sermon? There's nothing more important in your life than worshiping God properly. I'm not just talking about the worshiping God, I'm talking about worshiping God properly. 
There are ways of worshiping God improperly. Think of Cain, for example. Think of how Cain reacted when God did not accept his sacrifice and what happened to him. You know the disastrous consequences that he suffered. How he murdered his own brother and was cursed by God. There are many other examples you might think of. Nadab and Abihu. When men don't worship God properly, the results are disastrous. So we ought to ask ourselves this morning this question, are we worshiping God? Am I worshiping God properly? And this text will help you answer that question. This is about worship because in the Old Testament, offering sacrifices is how God's people worship God. In this text, we'll see how to worship God and also how not to worship God. We'll focus, focus on this text with the theme, God demands that his name be honored with sacrifices. We'll consider two points. First, he rebukes polluted sacrifices. Second, he promises pure sacrifices. What we have here today is an extremely relevant text In our text, we have the remnant of Israel, the small people of Israel who went to exile because Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar. And then the small remnant who came back to Jerusalem. They built the temple with much difficulty because of their lack of power. They had no king, they had no power. And under this Persian rule, with this multicultural empire, how are they going to preserve their identity? If not, through their love for God, through their zeal for God, and through their worship for God. And what's going to set them apart when, when everyone is mixed together under the Persian empire with all kinds of cultures and all kinds of people? If not through the distinct worship of God. And perhaps we can see ourselves in in that. Do you see how relevant we are, that this text is? Because we also are exiles in a multicultural society. How are we going to be set apart as God's holy priesthood, if not through worship? But sadly, in our text, the priests, the people of God, was failing at worship. And so we get an example of how not to worship God. We see God rebuking the priest for their polluted offerings. By polluted offerings, we mean offerings, the animal sacrifices of animals that are blind or lame or sick. These are polluted sacrifices because, as we read in Leviticus chapter 22, God forbid them. They were supposed to bring animals without blemish, animals that were perfect, that God's people were bringing them blind and lame, sick animals to the temple, and the priests were sacrificing them. This was bad in itself because they are disobeying God's commandments, but what makes it worse is that it's a reflection of what's in their heart. In their heart, they did not honor God. The people were was small, the temple was small, The former glory has been lost. 
Perhaps God is a small God who cannot keep us, preserve us under the Persian Empire. They despised his name and thought of God with content. God sums up what they were feeling in their hearts in verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snored at it. And he's talking about the priests who were consecrated, who had the privilege of worshiping God, leading the people of God in worship, and they were snorting at, God's, uh, at God and worshiping God. They were tired of worshiping God. And they didn't care about God, and that's what's reflected in the quality of animals they were bringing. They were bringing sick, blemished animals. And what they were doing misses the point of sacrifices completely. The point of sacrificing animals was to give up something valuable. And to the remnant of the people of Israel, animals were livelihoods. And they earned their living with their wool, with their milk, and their meat. So ideally, when they sacrificed animals without blemish, they were giving up something that was of value. Who knows what a good animal could mean for them. A bigger house, warmer clothes, better food, better education for their children. So ideally, when they were giving those up, they were showing that God was more important than that. Lord, I'm giving up this perfect animal, which could mean comfort for me, but you more, mean more to me than this animal, for more than that pleasure, more than that comfort. And that was honoring to God, but they weren't doing that. They were bringing blemished animals. And that doesn't really cost them much. What we have to understand is that when an animal is sick or disabled, they lose their value extremely quickly. They didn't have vets or antibiotics. They would die quickly, those sick animals. So they were going to lose them anyways, or they all have to get rid of them anyway. But they, perhaps they could just bring it to the temple. There's a way of getting rid of animals they have to get rid of anyway. And that is missing the point completely. That is offensive to God. And what's worse is that it could even be self-serving because they get the added benefit of looking pious, looking religious. Imagine if someone went to the temple every single time one of the sheep or a cattle was sick. Oh, there goes Mr. So-and-so again to the temple. He must be really godly, the neighbors would say. That would be the equivalent of praying in street corners as the Pharisees did. The priests weren't complaining either because whether it's blame, um, blind or lame, a sacrifice is a sacrifice. It means more meat for themselves. So offering blemished sacrifices wasn't not honoring to God. It was a way of serving themselves. Perhaps they were even fooling themselves, thinking that God would be pleased and honored with such sacrifices. Perhaps they were thinking to themselves, it's better than nothing. But God wasn't pleased with their sacrifices. He says that in our text. I have no pleasure in you, says God in verse 10. 
He says, even your governors won't accept such a thing. I know why you're treating me like that when I'm a great king. I am the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angelic armies. Don't treat me less than your governor. In fact, I wish someone would close the doors. In fact, I wish someone would shut the temple doors so that this would stop. What God is making clear in this text is that if, that if it's not wholehearted worship, he would rather not have it. What this is saying is that no worship is better than half-hearted worship. No worship is better than improper worship. If Aaron's sons didn't offer a strange fire to God, they wouldn't have died. But because they worshipped improperly, disrespectfully, they died. That shows, again, the same thing. God is more disturbed by hypocrites who just go through the motions than unbelievers. And that's convicting because often we don't give our best to God. We don't worship God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our minds. Often we give Him leftovers. Leftover time, leftover energy, we often just, just go through the motions. And I'm not just talking about outward appearances. I'm talking about what's in the heart. I admit that what is best for some might not be the best for others. It might look different. And God allowed that. God allowed some to offer turtle doves if you're poor, when others should, have bring, should bring bull or lamb. They could bring the best that they could afford. God allowed that. What matters to God is your heart. And that way, what's best worship for you might different, look different from others, depending on your health, depending on the season of your life and your situation. What's important is your heart, that you bring your best to God, that you give all, your all to God. So are you giving your best to God in worship? How are you worshiping God? This is what polluted offerings, polluted animals, or half-hearted worship might look. How about going to bed late on Saturday night because you don't have to work anyway on Sunday? You can still go to church, you can stay awake or manage to stay awake. Are you falling asleep in worship? Are you half as sharp as you could be on Sunday? Is that acceptable? If you were to go on a date or spend time with your spouse or your partner or significant other, how would they like that? Is that acceptable? Then how about God? How about resorting to watching live stream? I understand that there are senior members who cannot physically come to church or when there are illnesses in the, in the house. There are times when it's not feasible to come to church, but when you can reasonably come to church and you resort to watching live stream, what would God think about that? Are you saying that you can praise God better by yourself at home, that you can listen better at home, 
that you can love the church, the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters, better at home? And is that better than nothing? How about devotions? Are you doing it in such a hurry, in such a rush, that you don't even remember what you've read? How about your prayers becoming so routine that you're not even thinking about the words that you pray? What's convicting is that we might think to ourselves, it's better than nothing. At least I came to church. At least I listened to the sermon. At least, at least I did devotions. Is God pleased with that? Should God thank you for that? Is it actually better than nothing? No. We've just read that half-hearted worship is worse than no worship. God wants his temple to be shut down if people are going to bring polluted offerings. If you are here just to go through the motions, it would have been better for you to stay at home. At least you won't be insulting God. After all that Christ has done for us, what are we doing? God says, I have no pleasure in that at all. You despise my name. Where is my honor? Just close the church doors. Stop doing this. God is not delighted in polluted sacrifices. He rebukes those who do that. What can we do about that? In ourselves, there's not much we can do. But thankfully, God makes a promise. He provides a way. Thankfully, we read of pure offerings which offer honors God's name in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This would have been a promise that is hard to believe. This would have been something that would have been unimaginable for the hearers of Malachi's time. Think of what God is saying from the perspective of the Jews in their shoes. How could people offer sacrifices in every place? God forbid that. The only designated place for offering is the bronze altar and the golden incense altar. It's in the temple. God repeatedly rebuked people who offered sacrifices on high places. That's why you read, when you think of, read of the faithful kings, they remove the high places. And how is it that people would offer sacrifices in every place? And if that's the case, how is it going to be a pure offering? Who's going to supervise the sacrifices? Even with a centralized system, with a small remnant, they are failing to offer pure offerings. Who is going to supervise when every, where people are offering sacrifices in every places? Who's in charge of quality control? And there would have been many more other questions they've asked, they would have asked. It was a promise that is hard to believe, but if only it could happen somehow, we cannot deny this is a glorious promise. 
just as we want to know how to worship God properly, they, there would have been those faithful Jews who would want to know how to worship God properly. Could you imagine that longing? Could you imagine being a faithful Jew at this time? How sad and frustrating it would have been to, to be a small, to, to be diminished in, in a, as a small nation, a nation that was once glorious under the kingship of David and Solomon. And to see that little remnant, that small remnant, plagued with corruption. Could you imagine his religious life? How frustrating and discouraging that would be? Let's say this person brings an animal without blemish, a perfect animal. Would he have assurance of forgiveness? Would he know for, without a shadow of the doubt that this sacrifice would be pleasing to God? Wouldn't it concern him that the priests that are going to deal with this animal is corrupt, that the altar is defiled because of the other defective sacrifices? As he stands and watches his animals being burnt up, would he be assured of the forgiveness of sins and the pleasure of God? And perhaps that is something that you can identify with. Every church has its weaknesses, and you might think, how will my worship be acceptable when I am frustrated in church? That's so. To someone like you, to someone like that faithful Jew, God gives you a glorious promise, a promise of pure offering. And this is good news. This is good news also for that weary priest who are tired of sacrificing to God. Think of that priest slaughtering animals day in, day out, in a hot summer day, or in the freezing winter, draining the blood, taking the innards out, the guts out, putting up with that smell, and he himself smelling like gut and blood. Who wouldn't be wearisome? But the promise of pure offering was good news for them too. God is going to do something, though I am weak. He's going to provide a way of offering pure sacrifices. And this is great news for us is because we already live in this reality thanks to our Lord, the High Priest Jesus Christ. As we read this promise, as we read about Sacrifices being offered in every place. Perhaps your mind already went to John 4, the woman at the well. There our Lord Jesus said, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Do you see the similarities? Not in Samaria, not in Jerusalem, but everywhere, just like we read in the prophet Malachi. And what does he say? He says, not just that the hour is coming, but he says the hour is here because he fulfills it. Because Jesus Christ, as our high priest, fulfills the promise of Malachi. As we read in Hebrews 10, Jesus Christ offered himself as a lamb without blemish or spot 
and thereby ended the insufficient sacrifices of the Old Testament. And through Christ, incense and pure offerings are offered everywhere, all around the world, even here in Canada, in this congregation, far, far away from Jerusalem. But we're not really talking about making sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. We're, that was completed on the cross. We're not talking about repeatedly sacrificing Jesus Christ as in the Mass. We're talking about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. As you know from Romans 12, verse 1, present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In that way, we offer sacrifices to God. There are other verses that confirm that this can happen only through Jesus Christ and that this happens through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, verse 15, through him, meaning Jesus Christ, through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And also what we read for the call to worship. As you come to him, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's how we can offer pure, acceptable offerings. I was asking how your worship was, whether it was wholehearted or whether it was half-hearted. If I were to ask whether your worship would be acceptable to God, what would be the answer? Well, it depends. Let's say that you are dedicated to God in your worship. All the examples that I gave in the previous point of live streaming or doing devotions rushed in a rushed way, staying awake, none of them is your struggle. Now, does that make your worship acceptable and pleasing to God? Is that good enough? Let's say in your diligence you spent the evening praying to God for the Sunday, for Sunday, and let's say you're so focused in the worship and the sermon that you remember the points, remember the illustration, remember the applications. Would that be good enough? Let's say while you were worshiping, while you were singing, while you were praying, while you were listening to God's word, you were so moved, you were cut to the heart, and you started weeping. Would that be sufficient? No, not at all. If you think that your worship is acceptable because of how good you are or how sorrowful you are, you're again offering polluted sacrifices. You cannot be acceptable in yourself, on your own. They are all filthy rags. Even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb as one Puritan said. Nothing you do on your own is acceptable to God. If we somehow think that our worship is acceptable to God without Christ, what would God think about that? When he sent his son to die on the cross because we cannot solve our problem, 
and then to ignore him, to ignore his sacrifice, what would God think about that? Isn't that insulting? That's what we're doing here. We should have stayed at home too. The only way your worship could be acceptable, the only way that your worship is good enough, is if you worship through the Spirit of Christ, based on the sacrifice of Christ. So give up your confidence in yourself and turn to Christ. This is convicting news, but it's also good news for us because it shows us that we can worship God in an acceptable way. And that's great news because who can claim that the devotional life is perfect? It's often rushed, not without reason, because you live busy lives. It's hard to concentrate during devotion because your children are crying and they're complaining. It's hard to focus during worship in the church because you have squirmy kids. And just maybe, just maybe the sermon isn't great either. And then you might walk away from church thinking, with what I've done in church, with the way I've worshipped, how is God glorified? And why on earth would God give me his blessing and his grace? The good news, brothers and sisters, is that if you know that everything you do is imperfect, that even your best is tainted with sin, and if you turn to Jesus Christ in your worship, then his perfect obedience covers your imperfect obedience. His perfect obedience is count, counted as yours. And we know that his sacrifice is good enough. Your polluted, polluted incense of prayer will be covered with his perfect prayers. Your polluted singing will be covered with his perfect singing. Your polluted listening will be covered with his perfect listening of God's word. My imperfect preaching will be covered with his perfect preaching. It's as if you and I have worshipped him perfectly. We've asked, who will be in quality of control as you worship if people are worshipped everywhere, sacrificed everywhere in this world? And the answer is our high priest Jesus Christ. He makes sure that our sacrifices are acceptable to God. He is the minister, we read in Hebrews 8. He's the minister or the worship leader in the heavenly temple, in the very presence of God. He is in charge of worship right now. He is in charge of quality control as we worship God right now. He is the one who is directing us with his spirit. And your worship is acceptable. It's not just acceptable, in fact, it's pleasing to God. God delights in your worship because of Jesus Christ. He is glorified. It's as if his own dear son is worshiping here in this church. That is what Christ did for us. That is what Christ continues to do for us. So worship God through Christ. May God's name be greatly exalted here as you worship him through Christ. And may God shower his grace upon you richly. Amen.